This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Good afternoon again. Uh, if you have an empty seat, keep that hand up as people are coming in. If your arm gets tired, I understand you've got to put it down, but I know there's still people coming in looking for a seat. So if you're coming in and you're looking for a seat, watch for a hand that is raised. As you know by now, my name is Wayne Blakely, and I will tell you that it is absolutely an amazing um, gift of God to be able to be here and share with you today. Um, I have tried to take my testimony, which is about 70 minutes long, and cut it in half so that I can provide you with a teaching afterwards. If we don't get too very much of the teaching, the teaching has to do with how do we reach out to people who are same-sex attracted today. The reason I'm telling you my testimony is because I want you to know that I know something about it. I want you to know that while somebody else's story might be different, this happens to be mine and I can relate to somebody who is um, caught up in the gay culture today and thinking that perhaps there isn't even a way out. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to, to go ahead and just get started here. Um, more than anything, I want you to experience the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that you can come into oneness with him. I want you to be able to discover intimacy with Jesus Christ. Um, that's what I'm experiencing today. And <clears throat> I want you to know that I'm this far away from my past. And the only way that I am where I am today is from constantly clinging to Jesus Christ. I want you to know that this message, what you're hearing from all of us today and throughout this weekend, is immersed in the love of Jesus Christ. It truly, truly is. But I also want you to know that sometimes the love of Jesus Christ is like any parent and it looks like discipline. And so it doesn't always feel good. I lived in darkness for nearly 40 years in confusion. And what we're sharing with you here is something that was light years away from me as, as a child. I had no options. I had nobody who would listen to me. I, I, and I dare not speak about it. Um, I experienced the ridicule, the alienation, the rejection that came from those sitting in the most holy places of the church. I'm not here to condemn, and I'm not here to convict. I'm simply here to share how amazing God's love is. One more time, if you would bow your heads, I'd like to invite the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, you know um, that in this world today that we dare to speak about this topic um, because the enemy is so angry because he kept this a secret so, for so very long that people didn't think that there was any way out of homosexuality. And, and while your word tells us without question that it doesn't bring you honor and glory, the world is making it look like we have no other option. So today I ask, dear Lord, for the pouring of your blood 
over this building and over everyone in here and that you would send the Holy Spirit and that the, the enemy cannot accuse, the enemy cannot terrorize, the enemy has no place here, Lord, only the angels and the Holy Spirit. And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry if it appears that I'm going to be racing. It's, it, may, it may not even seem that way to you, but it will to me because I, I have a lot to share with you. Um, I'd like to read to you uh, from the Ministry of Healing and Spirit of Prophecy. Every association of life calls for the exercise of self-control, forbearance, and sympathy. We differ so widely in disposition, habits, education that our ways of looking at things vary we judge differently our understanding of the truth our ideas in regard to the conduct of life are not in all respects the same there are no two whose experience is alike in every particular the trials of one are not the trials of another the duties that one finds light are to another most difficult and perplexing. So I don't mean to belittle anybody's journey or anyone's experience today um, because you matter, you belong, and you are loved. It is only the love of Jesus Christ that changes lives. And I firmly believe that every single one of us are level at the foot of the cross. For years, my feelings were my truth. And so I want to share with you today that there is danger in believing, always believing your feelings as truth. God gave us feelings, but we need to look and see that our feelings actually are in agreement with God's word, because if they are not, it's an indication that he wants to do something for us. The message that I'm sharing again today is meant to be drenched in the love of Jesus Christ to touch each and every one of your hearts here and those for whom you may come in contact with. Can you become, uh, or can you be born gay? Hmm. Such an overwhelming response. <laughs> I thought I would break out with that one because usually on the Q&A that's the very first thing asked. My natural mother carried me to term. She was around a lot of uh, relatives who uh, would come to her and say, oh, so do you think you're going to have a boy or a girl? Oh, I'm not having a boy. There's no way I'm having a boy. And guess what? In those days, they didn't have amniocentesis. They didn't have ultrasound. There was no way to determine the gender of the child before the child was born but she was adamant with everyone she met that she was not going to have a baby boy. From birth, it is vital that we introduce love, the love of Jesus Christ, and a bonding relationship with our parents. Desire of Ages says, if we live in communion with God, we too may expect the Divine Spirit to mold our little ones even from their earliest moments. Ministering angels will guard children who are thus dedicated to God. 
It is the duty of Christian parents, morning and evening, by earnest prayer and persevering faith, to make a hedge about their children. They should patiently instruct them, kindly and untiringly teach them how to live in order to please God. Now I'm going to share something with you today. I believe firmly in the verse that says that if you raise a child in the way they should go, they will return unto you. I am such a child. I'm a prodigal child. And so, on the morning of May 6th of a certain year, <laughs> it was so certain that somehow it's elapsed or it's, it's, it's gone from my memory. <laughs> a baby boy was born. I wasn't a gift that could be returned. I couldn't be exchanged. Upon arrival, I was immediately rejected by a woman, my very own mother. Now what would my mother do with this grief and disappointment that she had? We arrive totally, completely vulnerable. We, we arrive with a fallen nature and we arrive ready to be posed with the lies of Satan. And his first lie to me was, you are not even wanted. We show up already having generational sin affecting us. In fact, we don't always go back a generation or two and see where the trait is, but we have the sins of our fathers on us. Is it possible to be born gay? I was rejected as soon as I got here. That wasn't going to create a very strong desire for me to seek out the arms of a woman or to fall in love with a woman now, would it? We lived on an Air Force base. My dad was a career Air Forceman, gone most of the time. And when he would come home, neighbors on the base would say to him, I, I, I think that, that there's something wrong with your son. I think there's some abuse taking place. And he said, you know, I'd just rather you just keep that to yourself. He thought they were just being nosy neighbors. And then he came home from an assignment one day, and he found my arm dangling in a cast. And he said to my natural mother, what happened to Wayne? Oh, well, he has bursitis. Now, some of you are probably not all med students, and you may not know that bursitis is an arthritic condition that I would likely be getting about the age I am now. <laughs> not at two years old. And so, my natural father, being gone so much, had to reach out to his sisters and, and his brother who lived in San Diego and said, can somebody help me out here? I need to do something. I need to get Wayne um, out of his mother's um, care for, for a while. And so, my uh, Aunt Virginia and my Uncle Fred said, we'll take him for a while. It was actually passed around for about six months. And I ended back in their care, and my Uncle Fred went and took my uh, arm on the initial visit 
uh, to them, and he was an x-ray technician. He went to the hospital and x-rayed my arm, and it had been broken in two places. They began to tell my natural father that they were praying and that uh, they realized that he was gone much of the time and they feared for my life in my mother's care. And they asked if he would consider allowing them to permanently adopt me. And so at two and a half years old, my Uncle Fred and my Aunt Virginia adopted me, and from my earliest of years, I will refer to my aunt and uncle from this point forward as my parents, my mother and my father, because that's what I came to know them as. And my dad said to me, from my earliest years, we adopted you, and God gave us the strong impression that he had a very special plan for you. Well, I laughed and joked, and boy, I'm telling you, with the feelings that I had and the misery I was in up and through around the age of 18, I sure didn't know what this plan was. And I would tell you that upon my conversion that my father likely thought that this wouldn't be God's special plan for me, would it? Would it be his plan for me to stand where I might meet great adversity from God's people? that I might be ridiculed by the world for the position that God has assigned me, commissioned me, to share the love, the truth, and the power of Jesus Christ that for some reason is not so popular. Nonetheless, it is the special plan that God had for me. It's not a feel-good message. It's become, it's become one of great controversy. And in fact, it, it really is of love and truth. And you know what I have found about love and truth? They can't stand alone. They do not stand alone. If you are a believer in the word of God, love and truth are inseparable. Amen. Well, <laughs> as early as I can remember, I just wanted to be one of the girls. There I was, dressing up. I wanted to play house. I wanted to bake. I wanted to be a secretary. At three years old, three years old, imagine the impact my natural mother had already had on me because I was running around the house screaming, I don't want to be a boy. I want to be a girl. You see, it had been drilled in my head prenatally and postnatally, that the only way I was going to gain any acceptance at all was if I was a different gender. Are you beginning to see the sin problem? Are you seeing that even though we arrive without having any control sometimes of our circumstances, God has put the power of choice in us. And he will reveal to us, if we will look to him for truth and for guidance, he will show us how to make right decisions. 
Well, it was going to be a long time before I started making such decisions because I was going into closets and I was pulling out dresses and heels and I was walking around the house. In fact, I had three neighbor girls and I challenged them and I said, hey, you know what? We've got this great patio. We had a, 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 a garage and off of the garage that there was the cement platform right out the garage door with steps that went down on each side into the open patio. And so I said, how about you girls come over? Let's play beauty pageant on one condition that I can be judge and always declare myself as the winner <laughs> oh, I made a very ugly girl <laughs> sports cars grease getting dirty are you kidding me I had no interest in that whatsoever those were the furthest things from my mind. And so when I stepped into my first day of school until graduation day, 12 years later, I was harassed. I was teased. I was called sissy, homo, pansy. Bullying was common then, let me assure you. They just don't want you to think that today because the media uh, wants to plant in your mind that that's something new and that people are just now starting to think about committing suicide. Believe me, I wanted to cease to exist. Walking home from school, I would look over my shoulder to see if I needed to run, and there were times that I had to. I would come home from school and I would lock myself in the bathroom, and I would stand in front of the mirror, and I would punch myself in the face, and I would say, why, God, why? I'm supposed to be a girl, not a boy. How could such a mistake have been made? I didn't fit in society. I didn't fit in the church. I didn't seem to fit anywhere. Even some of my teachers, most notably my Bible teacher, would participate in and, con and encourage the teasing and the harassment and the alienation that was taking place. I developed creative interests. Oh, uh-oh, must be gay. Uh, because we stereotypically, we've got it all laid out here in America that if you have any fem feminine characteristics, that would mean that you're gay. And we actually set people up, even from inside the church, by isolating and going, oh, oh, feminine, feminine, yep, yep, you're odd, you're strange. Well, if you want me to be, and where do you end up? We've done that. Stay with me, I'm not blaming the church for everything, I'm coming back. God made everything, beauty, and God was male, is male. Well, it depends on who you're talking to. I believe in the word of God says that God is male. <laughs> in the Psalms, King David has pointed out how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So I challenge you to not make assumptions, but to go to the person that you think might have an individual problem and begin to look at what their relationship like Jesus Christ is, because that's what really matters. 
Don't force this person into the loving arms of the gay community, but keep them into the loving arms of God's church family. Oh, I, I tried to date. I, I mean, I, I thought girls were beautiful, but stealing a kiss to me was a revolting thought, and I know some of you guys are going, dude, what is wrong with you? I'm different, and I'm different because of the history of sin. There was just no chemical reaction. Rather than encouraging me to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, some seemed more interested in whether or not I was con uh, cultivating a relationship with a girlfriend. In fact, let me just go forward to share with you that today, there are still people within this denomination who are looking for me to have a girlfriend or to get married as proof that I am cured from homosexuality. And I'll go a bit further. There are people in the church today who are looking at single heterosexual individuals as though if you are not married, something's not quite right. And so am I redeemed? Oh, yes, I am. Am I, am I a gay Christian today? Oh, praise God. No, I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. Would, now, some of you are still thinking, oh, no, I think you're a gay Christian. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Paul was on his road to Damascus. Boom! God says, Paul, Hey, I love you, dude, and you're killing some people that I love, so I want you to love them too. And I want you to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And Paul accepted the call. And so, oh, was Paul now a Christian-killing Christian? No. Oh. Well, how, okay, well, how about somebody who used to be an adulterer, but they've confessed, and today they're living in Jesus Christ and in oneness with Jesus Christ and with their wife. Are they an, are they an adulterating Christian? No. Oh. Okay, so what, it wouldn't make sense then for me to be a gay Christian, then would it? No. I didn't think so. I want to ask you today to not put an expectation on people when they come to Jesus Christ, introduce them to Jesus Christ, and then watch Jesus Christ grow them. He has a different, unique plan, just as unique as you are, a different, unique plan for every one of your lives. But the thing to remember is that no matter what that plan is, if you're hearing and listening from God, there are people today who have said, well, I either had the choice to be straight and marry or to be celibate, and so the only other thing that God was showing me, then I must have a monogamous same-sex partner. Well, really, did God show you that? Because if I come back to God's word, that's not in agreement with God's word. So I don't think that that came from God. God never gives up on anyone as long as their heart will at some point in their life res will respond. And that may be to somebody's dying breath. Don't ever give up on them. My painful crisis was giving away to my fallen nature and the enemy was waging war against my soul. Never stop praying 
for the people you love. We're going to talk more and more. You've heard it already about the power of prayer this weekend. I was about to embark on a completely unnecessary journey. Why is it unnecessary? Because under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he can help others with the reflection of the love of Jesus Christ through us. But I wasn't seeing the love. I wasn't experiencing the love in our schools and in our churches. I was experiencing it from my parents, and I thank God for that. At the age of 18, I was working at Loma Linda University. And an orderly there said, um, oh, you need to call my roommate. And I said, um, really, why? He says, just call him. So I called him, and he says, oh, yeah, Wayne. He said, oh, you're gay. I said, I'm what? what? And I said, what is that? Uh, yeah, it was at a time when the term was just being developed. He said, you like guys, don't you? I said, yeah, it's starting to look that way. He said, well, come over when you get off work. Let's talk. So I went over. We got acquainted. Nice guy. Went to La Sierra University. And suddenly Glenn says to me, Wayne, Adventism breeds homosexuality. Ooh. Ooh. What did you just say? I'm surprised you're not struck dead. I said, how do you arrive at that? He said, well, you're gay. I'm gay. I'm going to school with some, some college guys who are gay. He said, you see, the church has pointed out to us that homosexual behavior is sin. Iron curtain, balls down, say no more. So what do you do with those people that got all these feelings they didn't ask for? Well, we don't talk about that. In fact, we don't talk about a whole lot of sexual sin. In fact, we don't talk about feelings and whether they're in agreement with God's word or not. And so what happens to something that you leave in the dark like a Petri dish? It grows and grows and grows. And then people are looking, oh, how did this happen? Well, I'm here to, to tell you today how it happened. I was done with church, I was done with church school, I was done with God, and I walked into my first gay bar. And you know what? I thought it was heaven on earth. They wanted to meet me. They were smiling, they wanted to hug me, they wanted to get to know me, they, they were amazing. But I was receptive to that. Devil knew I was gonna be receptive to that. Because there was a hidden agenda under all of that, too, which was really driven by lust. Yeah. I had no more connection to Jesus Christ. I was done with religion. And so I decided that I would throw out everything that I had been taught about temperance, about anything. I, I thought the church was a farce. And so I decided that I would try every drug at least once. Had no morals, no self-discipline. My friend who said that Adventism breeds homosexuality then took me out into tons of different sex clubs. I want to tell you, it is an absolute miracle that I am standing here today. 
in near-death experiences, God kept this glimmer of his existence alive in me. He did not give up on me. Do not give on, up on the people that you love, that you want to help bring to Jesus Christ. I fell in love with a man because he complimented me. He didn't judge me. He made over me. He touched me. He hugged me. But in a few weeks, it was over. I had been deceived. It was only based on love, I mean, on lust. Yet our friendship continued because we needed so desperately to have somebody in our lives. We felt so alienated and rejected that we just clung to each other. Um, um, we didn't live together, uh, but he would invite me uh, to take care of his place sometimes, and, and he was going on a vacation and asked if I would, would uh, take care of his apartment while he was gone, and I said, sure, I'd be happy to, and he says, be sure and help yourself to the drugs that are in the freezer. So, Friday night came, I was done with work, I helped my myself to the drugs in the freezer, and uh, turned out to be angel dust, which was a, like a horse tranquilizer, and I found myself, when I started to come to, that I was in a fetal position on the floor, I was hallucinating, bouncing off of planets, <clears throat> came to, took the drugs, uh, if I had finished all of them, which I hadn't because I had gone unconscious before I had, I, I would have died. I would not be here today. I flushed them down the toilet. And I then was hit with guilt and I did the most unthinkable thing. I picked up the phone. And I called the girl who had been closest to me, and I asked her if she would marry me. She said no. Several months went by. I moved back from San Francisco to San Bernardino and went back to work at Loma Linda University. Life wasn't working out so well. Rejection had met new heights. Not only was I unsuccessful at obtaining a same-sex monogamous relationship, but I had been turned down by the only woman that I proposed marriage to in my life. I couldn't find acceptance. I so desperately craved to be wanted and accepted. I felt hopeless, unloved. I felt downright disposable. And one evening, feeling distraught, I went into my pharmacy. Oh, let me explain that. You see, at, at Loma Linda University, when I worked as a unit secretary, we didn't put drugs under lock and key because there wasn't a drug problem in those days uh, that they were aware of. When, when patients would check out of the hospital, all their drugs would go into the out basket for the pharmacist to pick up when they would walk by my desk. So I developed my pharmacy. 
and so I took a lethal dose of medication. And I got a police escort because the girl that I had asked to marry me lived next door. We were still good friends. And I vaguely remember hearing the emergency room doctor say, we're going to pump your stomach. And I couldn't get the words out to say, please don't. And about 24 hours later, I was in a three-man room of the hospital. And I began to come to. And I looked through this tinted window. And I saw the bluest, bluest sky and the whitest, puffiest clouds I'd ever seen. And I swore in my mind and said I didn't make it. Eventually, my parents arrived and I told them I was gay. <laughs> Something they already knew. And then within two or three days, I was back. I was out partying. I was letting drugs and al alcohol take over my life and consume me. I lived for indulgence of pleasure. It wasn't long before killer sex arrived. Deep fears developed. I had already had two dangerous bouts with hepatitis. I'd been hospitalized for them. Uh, one nearly took my life. And during the time of the introduction of, day, of AIDS, I developed a very ironic relationship with Jesus Christ. It went something like this. You see, it took about two to three weeks to get an HIV test back. So my prayer would be, please, God, please make it come back HIV negative, And I promise I will do something for you. Like I could do that. And time after time after time, The test came back HIV negative, and time after time after time, I went and lived a very raunchy, sex-filled life without protection. Some contend today that I needed help because I lived a promiscuous life. This isn't the same for a monogamous same-sex couple. My question to you is, does it matter if you're sinning with one person or with many persons? Satan doesn't care as long as he can nab us, and he knows what will work for one person and won't work for another, and it's amazing all the different ways that he has. And I continued to live life without boundaries. I picked up a couple of publications and was living in Seattle and, and found that um, I, I'd always been told that I gave a pretty excellent massage. And I began to read some ads in these publications that made it look like I could do what these other guys were doing. And so I started an illicit business of therapeutic stress-relieving massage. My target 
was heterosexual men. My clientele, doctors, lawyers, family men, the list goes on, as you can imagine. I took delight in discovering that some of the most homophobic men were no further from same-sex exploration than a well-kept dark secret that came out in the darkness of the night. It was proof to me that hypocrisy is rampant. For years I lived in these encounters, for 12 years. Time after time, these professed heterosexual men would prove to me that they were living lies, the very ones that I openly proclaimed. I lived a very gotcha life. Men were playing right into my hand, and I profited quite well from it. And then, they caught me. You see, disobedience to civil, civil laws is similar to disobedience to God's law. There are consequences. We have a choice to obey or to disobey. And I was a very slow learner. I was arrested twice, imprisoned, and convicted. And yes, it's on my record for life. One day I sat contemplating that every one of my gay friends are dead. That was 40 close acquaintances, uh, 40 close friends and over 100 close acquaintances. And I began to contemplate my own destiny. I sat thinking about what I'd been raised with. I started thinking about God again. And I seemed to hear God's gentle voice say to me, can you hear me now? It was ironic because I thought, you know, I've been angry with God. I've blamed God. And you know what God said back to me? Wayne, how can you blame me when you don't even know me? You haven't spent time in my word. You haven't communicated with me in talk and prayer. How can you blame me for this? I only want good for you, not harm. It's the enemy that's been lying to you. I wondered if the church had finally developed an outreach to gays and homosexuals. And I began to search. And I found uh, one site, uh, a website from a, a lady who had an interest in, in uh, helping people with homosexuality. And I saw on that website that she uh, was pointing us to abiding in Jesus Christ. And I didn't know what that meant. But I got the clear indication that it's really not about what I can get from God, but what I can do for Him. And so it took a, a few days for, for this to begin to resonate in my mind. And, and one morning I, I fell to my knees and I 
said, God, I don't know how you can forgive me, but I'm asking your forgiveness. And you tell me that you shed your blood at the cross of Jesus Christ and that I'm welcome there. And I walked into a Seventh-day Adventist church and guess what? The roof didn't cave in. And the pastor directed us to Philippians 4.13. And I had taken the Bible that I hadn't opened in 35 years that a friend gave to me. And when we opened the Bible to Philippians 4.13, at the top, 35 years earlier, he had written, Don't worry. And at the bottom, Wayne can do all things through Jesus Christ. Coincidence? I don't think so. God is very much alive and waiting to reach the hearts of those who will receive him. There's more to the story, but I don't have time to share it with you. God then took me and said, you know what? Because people have not talked about this, because people didn't reach out to you with my love for you, I had to come get you myself. And because they won't speak about this from there, I'm taking you from the gutter and I'm putting you in the pulpit. I'm this far from my past. That's why I have to cling to Jesus. And every single one of us should be clinging to Jesus Christ. It is possible, my friend, no matter what you struggle with, this goes well beyond the scope of homosexuality. If you overeat, if you have pride, if you have pornography, whatever it is, if you need to eat and you're not, Jesus can heal you. It's heavy on my heart to come and talk to people that are your age. And you know what? We're having great difficulty getting on university campuses. Do you know something really peculiar? There are straight gay alliances on every single Adventist university campus protecting the gay person and their rights. But nobody seems to be ushering in the gospel. We don't come in with a sledgehammer. We come in with the love, the changing love of Jesus Christ. We don't force you to stay here and listen to me. We allow you to see if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and say, I want healing too. And if you don't agree with it, you can go wherever you want to go. But we as Adventists, with a, a, with a beauty of a truth message, should be sharing this on our university campuses today. Amen. Write your university president. Write your student body president. Write your conference president. I wanted to provide you with a list today, but it, there is no such list that has that all together. I even tried to get it out of the general conference and, and it wasn't even possible. 
Um, so I, I just implore you uh, to get acquainted with who that is that you need to write to say this is a love message, not a hate message, and that lives can be changed. What's the opposite of homosexuality? You're on it. Holiness. Amen. Yep, not heterosexuality. You know what? What if I went under the water gay and came up straight? Oh, okay. Great. Now I want women. Woo! Oh, more women. Women. I like women now. <laughs> well, isn't that the right thing? Hmm. I'm out on a limb here sometimes. I want to show you it doesn't matter. The sexuality of it all is not what God is pointing to. God might take people like Ron Wolsey and say, I'm going to gift you with a wife. Surprise! You didn't even know this was coming. And praise God for that. And God might give Mike Carducci in his life today the attraction for the, for the female. And praise God for that because I would want to be best man at his wedding. But if Wayne Blakely, today, just today, I don't know about tomorrow, doesn't have erotic attraction towards another woman, does that mean that Wayne Blakely is not redeemed? No. Oh, thank you. Man, I'm coming back here more often. And I'm not being defensive, honestly. I'm just saying God has not shown that to me yet. And I want any gay who is on the outside of the church today not to think that it's coming in to become straight. There are producers of a film who said to me, your message is about changing the gay to the straight. I said, really? Where did you find that on my website? Because it is nowhere there. It's about coming back and developing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I walk with Christ, my healing continues with Jesus Christ. And I don't know what all's in store, but I'm sure he'll reveal it to me when it's time. What can we do? I'm talking right now about what we can do. Um, if you would pass out, if somebody would help me pass out these resource papers, that would be awesome. Uh, maybe split up on both sides of the room. Um, uh, invite people like us to come speak on your campuses. Uh, and remember this, that prayer is still the most powerful tool that there is. So never stop praying for those that you love. In fact, I'm going to uh, tell you that, that it was my parents who prayed for me for nearly 40 years. And when I was baptized, it was on their 67th anniversary. And they just celebrated their 71st anniversary. And my dad was a little skeptical at first about this ministry, but today he is thrilled and praying for me today as I am here speaking to you. Prayer is powerful. We have a prayer line. Here is the phone number. Please jot it down. We have magnets with this number at our booth. Um, I would, I, there is great power in prayer. Uh, it don't, it, you know, it's anonymous. You don't have to say anything. You're welcome to join in and pray about whatever's on your heart. Um, there is healing for people that we pray for. Next, listen. The, one of the most important things that you can do is listen because if you go to somebody and you start to tell them you're living wrong and this is how you need to live, 
What happens? List them, let them know that you love and care about that individual. Whether you agree with what they're telling you doesn't matter, but they need to know that you love, that you care about them, that you're a safe place for them. Love back, but never compromise the truth of Jesus Christ in the process. I'm saying these things quickly because we're moving right along here. Um, oh, oh, oh. How high is that concrete wall between your driveway and the same-sex couple that lives next door? I got a challenge for you. Invite them to dinner. Oh, little point here. When you got the, the table all set, be sure that you don't put the Bible on the end of the table as though you're going to clobber them over the head with every homosexual verse that's in the Bible. Be interested in them. Stop looking behind their bedroom door and look at their heart. Two weeks later, I want you to do something else. I want you to invite them back to dinner. Oh, no, Wayne, you didn't. Yeah, I did. You may not be comfortable. We don't reach out because we don't come in contact with that that is not comfortable for us. And so that's why it got the crown, the worst sin of all. Get to know the people because as you begin to reflect the love of Jesus Christ, they're going to start seeing Christianity as different than what they thought that it used to look like. Be a reflection of the pure character and love of Jesus Christ. Invite them to study the Bible. Wait for the Holy Spirit to open the door. If they say to you, wow, you guys aren't you guys Christians, you know, you've been really awesome here and, and you show like you love and care about us, well, you guys are different. Oh, yeah, we are. Well, what do you think the Bible's all about homosexuality about? Ooh, do you want to know? All right, let's sit down. Let's study it. Let's talk about God's perfect plan from the beginning. Let's, say, let's go and see how things got kind of messed up along the way. Let's see what Satan did with sex and kind of got things all screwed up. I think that we need to have Bible studies today for those who are gay the same as we would for somebody we want to bring to find that the Sabbath is, is the day to worship God, the, guy, the, the day that he set aside for us as a gift to us, or any other theological thing there is to study but first it must come from desire from the individual you cannot go in with a clobber technique and expect that um, you're going to have wonderful results let the holy spirit lead share your testimony with them share with them what was difficult in your life that was natural to you that god convicted you to give up that you've been walking closely with him in doing and they will begin to see the power of jesus christ and how it works in all of our lives now you're a relative now you can relate even though you're not talking about the same sin problem or sin temptation um, have small community groups um, some of the churches, some of you know what I'm talking about today, New Zealand, they call them cell groups, we call them small community groups. Um, this is a group of 10 to 12 people, I've been in one for the last four and a half years. Um, interweave people, don't isolate and say, oh we need to have a gay outreach, let's have a whole bunch of men come together because all of a sudden you've got men falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with each other and then, oh. Oh, really? You mean you guys can't take care of it yourself? No, we need you! We need the whole church body. Weave people into the church body as they're walking with Jesus Christ today. Keep them busy. 
Um, have these small community groups. Have a confidentiality clause involved in this that says that everything that takes place that we pray about at this table, that we study here, stays here so that they know it's a, a safe environment. Don't play the blame game. If we could just find out why Wayne was gay, yeah, what would we find out? I mean, I can tell you, I told you how I came about being gay. What I need to know is, is what will help me not be gay anymore. So let's look at the solution, and the solutions are all founded and grounded in Jesus Christ today. Um, oh, I can't believe I did it. Woo, three minutes. <laughs> so I, I've never done it that, quite that abbreviated before. Um, but praise God. Uh, thank you guys for coming. This is absolutely amazing to me. I want you to go back and say there is to, to, a way to love without compromising the truth of Jesus Christ. The book that he gave us, he didn't give it to us to just say it was only good up until a point. Because in there, I happened to read that he said that he was the same yesterday into tomorrow. And that everything that is in that Bible is applicable to today. It is not antiquated. And as you know, it is decision time. Amen. It is decision time, brother and sister. Please, please listen to the call of Jesus Christ on your heart today. Time is extremely short. If you know about the spirit of prophecy and you know that the, the end events are rapid events, it doesn't take much to look into the news to find out that it is happening very, very quickly. Thank you so much for your time, for coming. Text your questions, write your questions, drop by the booth. Uh, be sure and come early Sabbath afternoon. I believe it's afternoon. Um, to get a seat um, and, and we're going to help out with some of those questions um, from a perspective of those who the only reason we would say that we are any kind of an authority today is because we lived that life and Jesus brought us out of a, that life into a life with him and we have authority in Jesus Christ this message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.